Critical Thoughts with Steve is brought to you by Anchor. Go to anchor.fm today to start your free podcast or download the Anchor app from all major app stores. Now, welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. I'm your host, Stephen Goff. Happy Thanksgiving to all of my fellow political nerds out there in podcast land. I hope everyone had an amazing Thanksgiving on Thursday. I hope everyone survived the craziness of Black Friday. And welcome to the official beginning of the 2018 holiday season. We're all excited here. I hope everyone is ready for the holiday season. I know personally... My son has made his Christmas list this year, and after looking at his list, that list makes the Alabama Constitution look like a pocketbook. Um, But he is very, very excited about the upcoming Christmas holidays. I know he's looking forward to being out of school for a couple weeks, which is something I'm not. But, you know, with all parents... It is what it is. It's something that we looked forward to when we were kids. So it's just something that we get to pass down on to the next generation. But anyways, welcome to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. We have a great, great podcast ready for all of you awesome political nerds out there. On this week's episode, we are going to discuss the email scandal of Ivanka Trump and how the Republican Party is hypocritically dealing with that email scandal. Remember back in 2016 when they were all shouting, lock Hillary up? Well, now it looks like the shoe is on the other foot, but the Republicans are very silent about it, saying, you know what, it is what it is. But anyways, we're going to discuss that. Also, we're going to discuss racism in the GOP. Now, this is going to be a long one because this is actually going to be a little bit of a history lesson to all of you new political nerds out there. How the GOP went from the party of Lincoln and some would say the party of Reagan, but how the GOP has slowly but surely became a party that pretty much accepts racism into their party. So we're going to discuss that and with a lot of questions that's going to go with that because I like to pick all of your brains. So get ready for that. Also, this week in Trump, we're going to discuss all the craziness that has happened with our fearless commander-in-chief. And for our final segment, which is Final Thoughts with Steve, we're going to talk about bringing families back together at the dinner table during this holiday season. So sit back and relax. Go ahead, open up yourself a nice cold beverage. I know I have my glass of scotch right here with me. I promise it won't be too crazy, but we are going to have a great episode. So just sit back and relax and get ready for this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. We'll be right back. And welcome back to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. So our, our first topic of discussion is the Ivanka Trump email scandal. Now, as many of you all are well aware of, unless if you were new to this podcast or new to American politics, in 2015 and 2016, there was a chant that filled halls 
all over the country within the Republican Party. That was the chant of lock her up because Hillary Clinton had a civilian email account that she was sending supposedly classified documentation to members of her staff and members of the White House. But, you know, this email investigation has been going on for a while, and, you know, it was found that there was nothing at fault for her. But, you know, the GOP is going to continue to remind us that she should have never done it. So, guess what? Last week, news outlets around the country broke that... Ivanka Trump has a civilian email. Now, big surprise. Another scandal coming out of this this disaster of a White House. I mean, we're at a point right now where anytime you see breaking news on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, just put it on mute because, you know, this is something that has happened constantly with this administration. But... This time, the focus is on Ivanka Trump. Now, there's going to be a couple of questions I'm going to ask all of my listeners during this segment. One, should Ivanka Trump have a civilian email? Second question, why does anyone that works in politics need a regular civilian email account? Why I have one? Obviously, it's becoming an, a liability to everyone that works in politics of having a regular civilian email. But why should they have them? So those are the two questions that I want everyone to ponder during this segment. So let's discuss how both sides are dealing with this email scandal. Now, for Democrats, they're saying, well, this needs to be investigated by the new Democratic Congress, or by the new Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. Republicans are saying, well, it's no really no big deal. I mean, you know, she has a civilian email. She wasn't sending any classified information on that email server. So it's no big deal. Now, here comes the hypocrisy of it. In 2015, when Hillary Clinton had that email scandal happen, Republicans were calling... For Hillary does not need to have this email. Hillary should be prosecuted and locked up because she could be sending classified information, blah, 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 blah. Now, Democrats are calling for Ivanka to be investigated, and all people who are on the Democratic spectrum are saying, well, they need to lock her up. They need to lock Ivanka up. So, that's how Democrats are handling it. Republicans are saying it's no big deal. She should have one. Now, I have a huge problem with hypocrisy. I am a huge, huge enemy of hypocrisy when it comes to politics. I believe that we as citizens should hold everybody that is in the political world to a certain standard. And yes, that standard should be extended to President Trump's expanded family, especially those who are working close with him in the White House. Now, should politicians and those working with the administration be allowed to have a private email server? 
Now, some people will say, yes, you know, I have a personal email. I'm sure all of you have personal emails. But here's the difference between us and them. We are normal civilians. When I was in the military, it was a constant day by day, week by week, long speech about military members should not have private emails because it could compromise the mission. Meaning, we could be sending an email to mom or sending an email to our family at home or to our wives and husbands. And in that email, it could have compromising information in it regarding, you know, when our ship will be pulling in and out of port, where we're going, what we're doing. I mean, it just sets a very, very dangerous presence. Now, since we are in the civilian world now, or since I'm in the civilian world, I have a private email, but I rarely use it unless if it's, you know, going for, you know, like official stuff like I'm the president of my student veterans chapter. So I use that email to communicate with all of our student veterans throughout the university that I'm currently enrolled in for my graduate studies. I use that email server to, you know, talk with fans of mine who are, you know, emailing me questions. You know, I have an email server, but I don't use it as much as I used to use my official email service when I, you know, worked in city government or when I worked in the federal government. I don't use that that email just as much as I did back when I was doing government work. But should politicians have these email servers? Now, it's okay to have an email server, but I don't think politicians should, and I'm going to tell you why. Every time you turn on the news, you're hearing something about an email has been hacked into by a foreign entity. Most of the time, they come from Russia or areas surrounding Russia, or maybe a hacker that lives in Great Britain in the UK. But you know, Gmail servers are constantly being hacked into. Same thing with Yahoo and other email servers. So you're taking a conversation that you're having with people and opening that conversation up to possibly to the rest of the world. There is a danger in having that private email server. Now, is Ivanka sending classified information to members of her staff? Probably not. Hopefully not. I hope she's not. That would just be really, really bad on national security. But that email could be open to be hacked into. And then all of a sudden you have private conversations being leaked on WikiLeaks. And we're in a brand new news cycle of a constant Ivanka Trump. And I don't know about all of you, but I'm sick and tired of hearing about Ivanka Trump. I'm tired of hearing about Donald Trump. I'm talking about hearing about the Trumps completely. But, you know, that's the world we live in. The Trumps want to dominate the news. That is what they do best is dominate the news cycle. Every time you have a good story in the news, all of a sudden it's, you know, this is what President Trump has done or this is something that one of his dumbass kids have done or something that Melania has done. The only person that you never hear about is Barron. But, you know, he, he's, he has a private life and I totally understand that President Obama was all about keeping 
his kids away from the press and away from that spotlight. So, you know, good on the Trumps for keeping Barron away. But when you talk about Donald Jr. and the rest of the Trump kids, that's all they want to do is dominate news headlines. But now you hear about Ivanka having a private email. I mean, it's dangerous, really, because... I'm pretty sure that Gmail doesn't have a huge firewall that is almost impossible to get through. I'm sure Yahoo does not have an impossible firewall to get through. It just opens up a door to something that could be potentially disastrous. So my advice is to stay away from private emails if you're in the public life. Just stay away from them. Use your official email accounts. Use your emails when you're at work. Use your work emails. Use your government emails. Just use an account that you know has a huge firewall protection around it so that people who want to do you harm or people who want to see what you're talking about can't. So just stay away from Gmail. Now, Are Democrats being too harsh on Ivanka? No, I think Democrats are acting exactly how Republicans acted back in 2015 and 2016. Personally, I don't care what they find in the emails. I just don't want her sending private emails to members of her staff, especially if if it holds any kind of national security secrets or anything pertaining to national security, because it just it's just dangerous. Like I've said a million times, it's just dangerous. But I don't think Democrats are being harsh. I think Democrats are attacking it because Republicans attacked it back in 2015, 2016 with secretary of state, Hillary Clinton. Now the hypocrisy going on is Trump talks about, well, Ivanka has the right to have a private email and Trump supporters are all cheering about saying, you know, forget about, forget about, forget about it. But aren't they the same ones who kept saying lock Hillary up because of Hillary having a private email account? I mean, welcome to the hypocrisy of what we are becoming. It is just crazy that People flip-flop so many times. If you were saying, lock Hillary up, you should still be saying, or now saying, lock Ivanka up. Or investigate Ivanka. Hold these people to the same standards that you held Hillary Clinton to back in 2015 and 2016. What does the White House have to do to get away from this scandal? Well, that's easy. They'll just create another scandal. That is what this White House does. This White House is in a constant scandal-driven mode to dominate the news. The moment that this story becomes not a story anymore, Trump is going to say something stupid to rile everyone back up. That's just what he does. I mean, you should have seen what he was telling troops. You know, he was spatting off talking about how terrible, you know, military commanders are these days. 
or you know, giving himself a big pat on the back while he's talking to our men and women in uniform that are stationed all over the world during the holiday season. You know, Trump will always find a way to dominate the news. That is just what he does best. But as far as Ivanka is concerned, Ivanka Trump is not an elected official. Ivanka shouldn't even be in the White House at all. She has done no good for women's rights. She has done nothing good to help advance women's rights. The only time she speaks of women are billionaire women who are powerful CEOs of multi-billion dollar corporations. She's never talking about, you know, the women who are trying to be multimillionaires or billionaire or billionaire CEOs. I mean, she, she doesn't do anything. All she does is forward Trump's nationalist alt-right agenda to the best she can by trying to get white Republican women, you know, riled up for her father. But she sh- has no business of being a political advisor at all. Now, does she have the potential to change things and make things better? Absolutely. I think anybody that are human beings, we all have the potential to one day change the world. But right now, she is definitely, definitely not trying to change the world. The only thing Ivanka Trump wants to do is for that nationalist agenda that is plaguing our country right now. So should she have a civilian email account? Does it matter? Do you care? I care because she's an official inside the White House. There's so much at stake, so much information that she could be passing on, especially with the threat of cybersecurity these days. Anything and everything can happen. So what's your reaction, all my political nerds out there? What's your reaction? Should this matter to you? Should it not matter? I mean, is this just something that the media is trying to blow out of proportion? Or is there actually a real sense of wonderment and questionability out there regarding Donald Trump's children and the way how they conduct business on private email servers. So that's the questions I'm going to leave all of you. I hope that all of you respond to these questions because I want to know what y'all think about this. So here's going to be a new thing. While you're listening to this podcast, anytime you want to ask a question or answer a question or give us your thoughts, When you're on Twitter, just put that at button and put in official PTWSTEV, type your question or your response, and then hashtag PTWS. And that will send it to me, and I will answer your questions definitely throughout the course of next week. So that's what I want all of you amazing listeners to do right now is answer the questions I've asked you in this segment and ask me questions because I definitely, definitely want to hear back from all of you. So 
Once again, does it matter that she has a private email? Should it matter? Is this just another story for the quote-unquote fake media to make a big deal out of? Or is there a logical reasoning behind why politicians should not have private email servers? So answer those questions. Send it to me on Twitter. And we'll be right back. And welcome back. So in this segment, we're going to talk about the GOP, the Republican Party that right now is dominating the Senate and the White House and probably the Supreme Court right now. But we're going to be talking about the GOP. And the reason why we're talking about the GOP is because we're going to talk about racism. How did the GOP go from the Republican Party of Lincoln to what it is now? Now, there's a lot of history involved in this. So... I want everyone to just calm down from the first segment and just relax and let's talk about how the GOP has become a quote-unquote racist party. Now, in American politics, there was a strategy that the Republican Party used back in the 1950s and 60s. It's called the Southern Strategy. Now, as the civil rights movement and the dismantling of the Jim Crow laws in the 50s and 60s deepened existing racial tensions in much of the southern United States, Republicans such as President Nixon or Barry Goldwater, they developed these kind of strategies to successfully contribute political realignment of many white conservative voters in the Deep South who were traditionally supporting the Democrat Party rather than the Republicans. So this is what you call the Southern Strategy. And basically what it is, it's a meltdown. Republicans started not focusing on civil rights, but they started focusing on getting the white vote back. Now, from now on, Republicans are never going to get more than 10 to 20% of the black vote, and they don't need any more than that. This is a quote coming from Kevin Phillips, um, who wrote in the 1970 or in a 1970 New York Times article. He said, But Republicans will be short sighted if they weaken the enforcement of the Voting Rights Act. The more blacks who are registered Democrats in the South, the sooner. Um, whites will quit the Democrats and become Republicans. So it became a Southern strategy. Now, while Phillips looked to increase Republican power by polarizing ethnic voting in general, and not just win the white South, but also the whole South in general, its successes began at the presidential level. Republicans or Southern voters, they began to elect Republicans to Congress and finally to statewide and local offices, particular as some moderate Republicans that were, you know, all for segregation in the Deep South. And they started to develop grassroots political organizations across the South. Um, 
but you know there was a lot of there was a lot of thought that went into this now during the 50s and 60s you had a term that is pretty much extinct now um but there was a term of a term called southern democrats during the time of president kennedy and lbj southern democrats did not care about civil rights at all southern democrats were members of the ku klux klan throughout the whole south of the united states and some northern states of the united states republicans were you know very supportive of the or very supportive of the um, Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. They were very supportive of of civil rights in general. But people that were infiltrating the GOP were saying, you know what, we should make the Republican Party what the Democratic Party should have always been. So there was a change. And that change happened during the 60s and the 70s. After LBJ left, you had this massive wave of Southern Democrats who were looking at what potential Democrats wanted the new Democrat Party to look like. Um, they wanted the Democrat Party to be in favor of, um, you know, in favor of of civil rights. They wanted blacks to have equal rights and voting rights and voting protections. That's what people that were Republicans were actually looking more into to create a new party. However. Southern Democrats, or, yeah, Southern Democrats, they were seeing that change slowly but surely happen within their, within their Democrat party. And before you know it, or before you knew it, Democrats said, or Southern Democrats said, screw the Democrat party, we're all going to become Republicans. And from then on, People that lived in the South that were that were for segregation, they started migrating towards the G, the new GOP platform that people like Nixon and Goldwater was starting to establish. Now, the Democrats, on the other hand, had some bad history. For example, Alabama Governor George Wallace, he was a Southern Democrat. He probably would have become a modern, uh, a modern Republican in today's age. Not saying that all of you Republicans are racist, are racist, but you need to start looking into what's going on in your party because a lot of the, you know, we need to ban Muslims from everything. A lot of the, well, black lives don't matter. A lot of that talk is coming from the Republican Party. It's not coming from the Democrat Party. And the reason why this is happening is because there was a huge shift. Republicans became Democrats, and Democrats became Republicans. It was a huge cluster during the 60s and 70s. 
So, the evolution of it. As civil rights grew more accepted throughout the nation, basing a general election strategy on appeals to quote-unquote state rights, which some would have believed opposed civil rights laws, it would have resulted in a huge backlash nationwide. Republican strategist Lee Atwater, he discussed the Southern strategy in 1981. He said that as the whole Southern strategy that Harry Dent and others put together in in 68, opposition to the Voting Rights Act would have been a central part of keeping the South. However, President Reagan didn't do that. Reagan was president back in the 80s. He did not do that. All you have to do is keep the South is for Reagan to run in place on the issues that he's campaigned for since 64. Republican candidate in 1980, Ronald Reagan, he made a much-noted appearance at a county fair. Um, He believed in states' rights. He believed that states should have the ultimate power over the government. Now, there was a shift in strategy. In the 90s, Republican Party, they made huge attempts to get African Americans to vote for them. Believing that the strengthen of religious values within the African American community and the growing number of affluent and middle class African Americans will lead African Americans to support Republican candidates. However, those efforts didn't increase African-American support for the Republican Party. And it's because Democrats were talking, was talking the language. Democrats were all about, or Democrats during the 80s and 90s were all about expanding the Civil Rights Act, expanding voting rights, um, keeping socialized programs such as Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security keeping all those programs completely funded. They were talking about how poverty within the African-American communities throughout our country needs to be depleted. African-Americans should be lifted up, not put down. There needs to be more programs installed to make sure that African-Americans are, you know, have the right to the American dream like everybody else. They were always talking about that. And if you don't believe me, just go on YouTube and start looking at speeches from Democrats in the 80s and 90s. It is a total different different tone than what they were talking about in the 50s and 60s. And that's because of the flip. But now, we fast forward to 2018. Every time you turn on the TV, you have alt-right Republicans are talking about, you know... We need to advance the nationalist agenda. We need to advance our racist agenda. You know, blacks don't belong in this country. Muslims should never be permitted into this country. All this crazy bullshit about division. This is what the Republican Party has become. And the Republican Party of today is the Democratic Party of the 50s and 60s. Now, there have been a lot of debates on this, but it's it's just how crazy people think. Now, 
not all Republicans are racist and xenophobes or homophobes. Not all Republicans are like that. There are still many decent Republicans out there. I have a lot of Republican friends, and a lot of them are not what the alt-right is trying to make the GOP into. But in today's age, more racists are now coming out and are able to say, I'm a racist. Because there is absolutely no backlash in the Republican Party. They have not tried to get away from the racist image that they have now. And if they are trying to, they're doing a piss poor job of doing it. Every time you turn on the news, Republicans want to, you know, cut Medicaid, cut Medicare, cut welfare, cut Social Security, cut food stamps, because they call them entitlement programs. I don't think welfare is an entitlement program. I think welfare is a benefit to help people who are in need. Now, does there need to be major welfare reforms? Absolutely. Are there people that take advantage of the system? Absolutely. But you don't hear about that on the Democrat side. The Democrats are always talking about you know, a different tone than what now modern Republicans are talking about. So, your modern Republicans were the 50s and 60s equation to Southern Democrats. But when you turn on the Democratic rally, you don't hear Democrats saying, you need to lock that Muslim up because all Muslim are terrorists. No, they're talking about Muslim Americans are Americans and they need to be treated with the same rights as everybody in this country. Democrats are talking sense. Republicans, the alt-right Republicans, are talking about division and creating more division within our country. But racism lives on in the GOP. This is what the GOP has become. Now, some historians believe that racial issues took a backseat to a grassroots narrative known as the, as the suburban strategy. But what's going on right now within the Republican Party isn't to better the African American community, is not to better relationships amongst evangelicals and Muslims. That is not their strategy. Their strategy is to divide and conquer. That is the strategy of the current Republican Party right now. So here's my question to all of my Republican listeners out there. Is this the party you want to be? Are you tired of hearing racist candidates like that idiot who lives in Louisiana that is always on the ballot who is also a member of the Ku Klux Klan are you tired of those candidates coming out and saying you know Muslims don't deserve to be in this country are you tired of hearing about candidates saying that you know African Americans are moochers 
I don't know any moochers that are African-Americans. I know more white people that are moochers than African-Americans. But don't get me started on that. But is this what we're... Is this what the Republican Party has become? Now, in 2004, I was a Republican. I vote my, The first election I got to vote in, in 2004, I voted for George W. Bush. Now, I was an uneducated 18-year-old new voter who became a Republican because my family was a bunch of Republicans. But I voted for President Bush. But the more I started paying attention, the more I started to see, you know what? I don't want to be associated with a party that promotes racism and violence towards minorities. So Republicans, if you are fed up with what's going on within your party, or if you're fed up seeing Muslims and Asians and anyone that's not white become victims of hate, if you're fed up, maybe you should create a third party. Maybe y'all should go back to the party of Lincoln. Or maybe try to get out of this alt-right disaster and try to recreate the party of Reagan. Because conservatives used to talk about Reagan like he was God. Now they talk about Trump like he's God. Reagan has been knocked all knocked off of his pedestal. And it's your fault because you allowed Donald Trump and that nationalist agenda to infiltrate the Republican Party. Now racism has been going on in the Republican Party ever since the flip-flop in the in the mid sixties mid sixties to the seventies. It has been going on. But are you tired of it yet? Is it is it it is what it is? I mean, I don't understand this at all. I understand why we live in twenty eighteen and we're still allowing racists to promote racism in a country that all men regarded regardless of your skin color or your religion, all men and women are created equal. So why do you want to belong to a party that is all about hatred and division? Well, Republicans believe in tax cuts. You know, the tax cuts that Republicans believe in are the same tax cuts that are being given to the wealthiest 1%. While the rest of us middle class people are still fronting the bill. Yet you still support candidates who keep talking about tax cuts. And my favorite lie of of campaign season is Republicans saying, well, I'm all about putting in our Constitution term limits for members of the House and members of the Senate. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because who would want to put a term limit on power? Because idiots believe that and idiots decide to elect these people into Congress. 
we live in a time now that it is okay to be racist in the Republican Party. Racists are coming out of their back out of the backwoods, waving their Confederate battle flags, still believing in an asinine cause of defending states' rights and down with the government, even though that during the Civil War, yeah, it was a war about states' rights, a states' rights to have slaves. Let's start having that conversation in the classrooms. But all those people in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s that were all Southern Democrats, they are now your moderate Republicans. And I guarantee this, if George Wallace was alive and breathing today, he would be a Republican. He would no longer be a Democrat. If Barry Goldwater was still around politics today, he would not be a Southern Democrat. He would be a modern Republican. Because the days of Southern Democrats are over and the days of being a racist Republican is still going on. And that is the sad, sad world that we live in. But you know what? I'm a strong believer in it all starts at home. So start teaching your children morals and values. Teach them not to hate someone because of the color of their skin or which God that they pray to. Start teaching that everybody is equal in this country. And if you plan on running for office and you start saying that women are equal as men, blacks are equal to whites, Muslims are equal to evangelicals, then you need to live by that standard that you just placed on yourself. Because... As long as this is going on, you're going to see more and more division going on within the United States. And that's just how it's going to be. So yeah, a little bit of a history lesson on why the GOP is now a racist GOP. How Southern Democrats of the 50s are now Republicans of 2018. Now, can the Republican Party change? I think anything can change. But as it stands right now, I don't see any any changes coming out of the Republican Party. Republicans are, cons- are going to continue to talk about hatred. They are going to continue to talk about division and creating division and making anyone that is not a white evangelical a target and an enemy. If you don't believe it, just sit back and watch TV because it's happening right now. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. It is everyone's favorite segment. 
Well, I would say everyone's favorite segment, not my favorite segment, but we are going to dive into this week in Trump. What has our fearless commander chief been up to this week? So this has been the Thanksgiving holiday. So in most administrations during the Thanksgiving week, you don't really hear that much coming out. But you know what? This administration is nothing like the previous administrations that we've ever had in American history. So this week, President Trump, the Trump administration asked the Supreme Court to take up the military transgender ban. So now Trump wants to ban transgenders from joining the armed forces of our great country. I mean, really? Transgender? Now, I served in the military, and the military was established not to be some social science experiment. But you know what? They allowed blacks to fight in the military, and the military, you know, survived. They allowed women to join and fight in the military. The military survived. They got rid of don't ask, don't tell, so now openly gay men and women can now serve without you know the fear of being kicked out because of who they are and who they love. But guess what? The military survived. So now it's more hatred. And it's you know the constant war on Trump's war with the LGBTQ community and saying that, you know, transgenders People who are trans, you know, they don't deserve to be in the military. Now, here's my opinion on that bullshit. If you are gay, straight, trans or not, black, white, Asian, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, I'm pretty sure I left a couple more religions out there. But if you're any of that, you deserve the right to join the greatest military in the history of the world. Our military is a military combined of citizens from all over the country, citizens who are rich or poor, black or white, Hispanic or Asian. The military is a melting pot. And for anyone to say, you know what, you're transgender, you don't deserve to be in, in this military. That's not only wrong, it's inhumane, and it's just plain evil and just hateful. And I'm sorry, President Trump, but your hate, your hatefulness, your hatred has no place in our military. Also, Trump has, um, did anyone see the video on Facebook? Well, it's been going on, on Facebook, but it's also on Twitter of President Trump calling the troops during Thanksgiving. Our commander-in-chief is calling troops around the world. And while that conversation should you know should be, you know, thank you for your service. We love you. We appreciate you. We're praying for you. It became a conversation of, you know, this is what I've done. This is what I'm doing. This is how great I am. I mean, besides taking time out to appreciate our patriots, President Trump has, you know, made it into a me, me, me festival. So, 
Trump decided to do that. And now Trump is having a war with the Supreme Court. So, backstory on that. Trump was talking about the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Chief Chief Justice Roberts, blah. And he called him an Obama judge. Now, normally the Supreme Court, they don't, you know, get into anything, you know, political because the Supreme Court should always be the second arm of the government that needs to remain as biased as possible to show an even an even playing field when it comes to constitutional rights. But Trump is saying, well, all these Obama judges are the reason why all this terrible things are happening within our country. And Chief Justice John Roberts was like, huh, hold the phone. He came out, you know, you know, basically just knocking on Trump, speaking out against Trump, which is something that you know, members of the Supreme Court, you know, they don't do. Um, President Trump, he's continuing a months-long campaign to undermine the judiciary, and particularly those judges who strike down um, President Trump's administration policies. Trump is doing his best to portray judges as nothing more than politicians in robes of partisan agendas. Chief Justice John Roberts is continuing his quest to explain to the public that justices and judges are neutral arbiters who apply the facts of each case to the law without notions and political bias. And they're, I mean, it's crazy. Presidents have criticized federal judges and even Supreme Court decisions. Um, Barack Obama, he condemned the Supreme Court's uh, decision on Citizens United during his State of the Union address in 2010. But Trump's criticism of the federal judiciary goes far beyond what we have seen in modern presidential history. He once criticized a federal judge who issued a ruling striking down a version of the travel ban and called him a so-called judge. That is what Trump said about the judge. Trump has also accused a federal judge of Mex- of being Me- of of Mexican descent of being biased against him and incapable of performing his job because his parents were immigrants. And this week while going on a rant against the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, a judge that was appointed by Obama, Trump said, "Well, that's not the law." Every case that gets filed in the Ninth Circuit, we every time that we get a case in the Ninth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, you know, beats the case, rules against, it's a disgrace. But of course, that is exactly how the judiciary is meant to function. Trump is describing a ruling as law only when the judge rules in favor of his administration, and then he calls it a disgrace when the judge rules rules against the administration. Trump's comments were apparent 
are apparently the last straw for for Judge Roberts, for the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Roberts was not an Obama, a President Obama appointed judge. Roberts was appointed by Congress in 05 when he was nominated by President Bush. So Roberts went on the defense. He said, we do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges. What we have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their very best to do equal rights to those appealing before them. This came from the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. This is consistent with Robert's desire to ensure that the public respects the judiciary branch and understands it as an entity separate and apart from from partisan politics. Now, in the wake of the Kavanaugh hearings, oh boy, I hate I really hate mentioning that. I'm sure that our uh, our two ladies from Non Mom Happy Hour is you know probably laughing because they just heard the word Kavanaugh. But during those confirmation hearings, Roberts said, "We do not sit on opposite sides of an aisle. We do not caucus in separate rooms. We do not serve one party or one interest. We serve our nation. We serve one nation." So like every bully, Trump felt compelled to respond to the Chief Justice's comments saying, Sorry, Chief Justice John Roberts, but you do indeed have Obama judges, and they have much different point of view than the people who are charged or charged with the safety of our country. It would be great if the Ninth Circuit was indeed an independent judiciary, but it is what it is. So despite all of his outrageous lies and misunderstandings, our fearless commander-in-chief has a point. It's increasingly the case that if we look at any other, any of the big hot-button cases that will be coming before our Supreme Court, we can predict how the justices will rule based on whether they were nominated by a Republican president or a Democrat president. So for once, we kind of agree with Trump on this. Look at LGBT rights, look at religious rights, look at voting rights. We essentially know how the justices will vote based on the partisan affiliation of the president who nominated them. It's sad because the Supreme Court should be completely straight down the middle. If If there is a case coming before the Supreme Court about abortion, we shouldn't have to you know, tell ourselves now in 2018, well, it's probably going to get stricken down because we're now under a Republican-controlled judiciary. We shouldn't even say that. We should say, you know what? We have justices that do not look at party. They look at the rule of law. And they are going to go with the way how the law is written and how the law dictates when it comes to Roe versus Wade. But we, you know, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have the sense of, you know, now that the Supreme Court is Republican controlled or there's more Republicans on the Supreme Court, we should not have the sense that, you know what, there goes LGBT rights, there goes 
religious rights and religious freedoms for Muslims and Buddhists and people who are not white evangelicals. You know, there goes, you know, trying to get um, Dodd-Frank removed or Citizens United. There goes everything because nothing's going to happen under a Republican-controlled Supreme Court. We shouldn't even be in that mindset. Judges are the voice of law when it comes to the people. And judges need to put party affiliation aside and judge what is or is not constitutional. That is what our Supreme Court should be doing. Now, Republican presidents nominated a number of justices who either sometimes or routinely voted with the liberal side of the court. Justices like Justice Warren, Justice Brennan, Blackman, John Paul Stevens, Sandra Day O'Connor, Anthony Kennedy, David Souter. Some of these justices, you know, they have, um, you know, went against party affiliation on some cases. But again, as our politics get more polarized, so do our judicial nominees. Remember Judge Merrick Garland? Obama nominated him to fill a vacancy left by the death of Justice Scalia. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senator Turtle himself, denied Garland a hearing before the Senate. McConnell was betting on the fact that Trump would win the presidency and be able to fill that seat with a more conservative judge. And that judge was Justice Neil Gorsuch. And that is exactly why Trump, his pronouncements about the federal judiciary could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The judiciary does not have a military force to enforce its decisions. That is not what our founders wanted the judiciary to have. The, the point of the Supreme Court is to rule on cases when it comes to constitutional rights. That is what Supreme Courts should do. But you know what? I don't Trump. He's all about division these days. I mean, there's just so much going on right now in this country. I mean, another topic, Trump defended Saudi Arabia. I'm sick and tired of political leaders defending countries that do not give a shit about basic human rights. And this should not be a surprise. We all know Trump hates the press, but this was an American member of the press that gets killed in Saudi Arabia by the government of Saudi Arabia. And Trump says, you know what? The Sultan or the, the crown prince, he, he's very saddened by this. So, you know, we're going to be his allies. No, sometimes being an ally means that we need to be a hard ass on issues. You need to tell the government of Saudi Arabia, if you keep this shit up, we are either going to start imposing sanctions on all of you, 
and we're going to hold all of you accountable to when it comes to human rights. You cannot kill a journalist because that journalist does not agree with the way you govern. And the only reason why we are friends with Saudi Arabia in the first place is because Saudi Arabia sits on, I think, around 70 to 80% of the world's oil supply. That's why we're friends with Saudi Arabia, because we have to defend Saudi Arabia against Russia or other countries surrounding the Middle East for fear that they could come and invade Saudi Arabia and take away the oil production that's going on in the Middle East. That's the only reason why we're friends with Saudi Arabia. That's the only reason why we will be friends with Saudi Arabia. If Saudi Arabia did not have all that oil right now, then you know what? We may or may not be friends with Saudi Arabia. God knows this administration hates Muslims with a passion. I mean, it is still shocking to me that Trump still wants to shake hands with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. But you know what? That is what he does. He does not care about journalists. He does not care about the media. I'm pretty sure that the day that that journalist got killed, President Trump probably sat back and had a grin because he does not care about journalists. He has made that clear that the enemy of the people is not ISIS. It is not Al-Qaeda. According to President Trump, the enemy of the people is the media. So he does not care about that. Also, with Jeff Sessions, which I'm still pretty happy about, Jeff Sessions um, basically getting fired. He resigned, but he was forcibly resigned. He was forced to resign, so he was fired. Now you have a new guy in, and the only thing what he's doing now is trying to haul up the Mueller investigation. It would not surprise me if you see something within the next, I'd say the next month to three months down the road that Mueller was fired from this investigation. It would not surprise me. After all, the guy that Trump has put in as interim attorney general, this guy has been a pro-Trumper since the very beginning. He is all about stopping Mueller and stopping this investigation. He is all about making sure that this investigation does not see light or we don't get to see the results and protecting Donald Trump's image. Now, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but stopping an investigation, if that happened, if Mueller was fired, or if Mueller gets fired, Obstruction of justice is definitely going to be an article of impeachment. Hell, it might be an article of impeachment already. But, you know, Trump, he's... He is doing his absolute best to stay in the picture and the news cycle. And next week, he's probably going to do more outlandish things. He's saying that, well, climate... Or climate change is, you know, could be a, a definite now. Um, you know, maybe California should have raked their leaves. Maybe California wouldn't be on fire. Oh, there's a huge Arctic freeze that's going on in the northern states. Well, that's not global warming. That's global cooling. I mean, in a seven-day period, he says the most outlandish things 
anyone can possibly imagine. And I swear to God he does it at 3 a.m. when he gets up and uses the bathroom. He has to find something to rile up his base. So that's why we had this segment so we can talk about this dumbest crap that President Trump tweets about and talks about during the week. So there's your daily week or your daily dose of This Week in Trump. We'll be right back. And welcome back to our final segment. This is my final segment. This is my favorite segment of our weekly podcast. This is my final thoughts. And the reason why I love final thoughts is because I feel like this is a way for us to kind of calm down from the show, take a deep breath, and actually have a meaningful conversation. So this week was Thanksgiving. It is a time when family and friends gather all over the country. Family and friends you know, fly in and out to visit relatives I haven't seen all year. And this is this is a time for us to be thankful for what we have in our daily lives. There is a lot of division going on right now when it comes to our country. We're divided on so many issues, and I thought that in 2005 and 2006, because of the wars that was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, we were divided, but you know what? That has nothing on how we're divided right now. So I want to have a conversation with you about bringing each other back together this holiday season. And the way to do that is we need to stop talking politics at the dinner table. When we when we say the prayer over our Thanksgiving meal or when we're eating on Christmas Day with friends and family and we sit down and we start eating the word Trump, the words Democrat, Republicans, any issues should not come out of your mouths while you're eating. This is a time for us to talk with each other about our daily lives and what's going on in our lives. Hear about Susie that lives down the road? Um, did you hear that Mary across the street, has cancer again. What can we do to help her? Um, did you see Jimmy's new bike? Oh, school sucks. That's what we should be talking about. We shouldn't be talking about politics. And we need to stop talking politics at the dinner table. When I was growing up, my grandparents had a rule. is, And that rule was you do not talk politics at the dinner table. That is a time when everyone should just shut up enjoy their meal, or that's what my grandmother used to say, just shut up and eat. And that's how it should be at our dinner tables. Unfortunately, in 2018, dinner tables are the same place that we talk politics like we do in coffee shops and, you know, when we're around our friends at the bars or at the pool halls. 
That's what we do. We talk politics. So, during this holiday season, I challenge each and every one of you, when you sit down with your families during this holiday season to eat dinner or eat Christmas Day lunch or whatever, I challenge you all to not talk about politics. We need to stop talking about the things that are dividing us most when we're trying to enjoy quality time with friends and family that we don't get a chance to see during the year. During Thanksgiving, I made it a huge point not to discuss politics when we were eating our Thanksgiving dinner. Um, yeah, I have some awesome cousins that you know like to pick my brain, but when I'm eating ham and macaroni and cheese, the last thing I want to talk about is something that I talk about six days out of the week. I try not to talk politics on Sundays because, you know what, Sundays, those are the days that is reserved for reflection of the week and getting ready for Monday. I don't even watch the news on Sundays because I want to get away from politics during that one day of the week. So, we need to stop talking politics at the dinner table. Now, when we're done at the dinner table and we're back in our groups or, you know, back with our favorite cousins or you know, back with, you know, our brothers or sisters or moms and dads and political discussion starts, we need to respect each other's political views. Now, great uncle Tommy grew up in a different time and he's he or she is probably going to, or you know our great uncles and our great aunts those who are you know around 75 80 years old they are probably fans of president trump so you know what arguing with them is like arguing with a tree nothing is going to get accomplished by arguing with them so avoid those political discussions now if you're staying around a bonfire and drinking a beer and politics come up, listen to each other. Don't talk over each other or trying to make your point of view the right point of view. Just listen to each other. Respect each other. That's something that we have forgotten to do as a culture in present day America. We don't respect each other's political views. So we need to learn how to do that. Also, during this holiday season, concentrate on family. Not politics. Reconnect with members of your family. Reconnect with members of your community. Don't concentrate on what's going on in the political world. Trust me, I'm a political nerd. Politics revolve around my life on a daily basis. But sometimes we definitely need to take a break. And during the next five, six weeks until Christmas, we need to stop, you know, concentrating on what this asinine president of ours is doing, and we need to concentrate on the people that matter most to us. And the reason why this matters is because I'm pretty sure that some of you out there have lost people in your families this year. 
And some of those losses are are hard. I'm sure some of y'all have lost moms, dads, grandparents, brothers and sisters, cousins. Thanksgiving in December should be a time to reflect on those people, not reflect on a, on this president. You need to start reconnecting with your family. It's time to reconnect with family and friends that you have not seen or talked to in the last 11 or 12 months of this year. So, I challenge each and every one of you during this holiday season when you sit down with friends and family at the dinner table, don't talk politics. Talk about life. Love each other. Support each other. Tell everyone that if you're having a difficult time, I'm always a phone call or a text message away. Remind people that they are loved and appreciated. There's too much division going on these days. So let this holiday season be about bringing people back together, not continuing the divide. And that will do it for this week. As we week, as we wrap up this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve, remember to go and thank a veteran this week, and to thank a member of our armed forces. Tell them that we love them. Tell them that they will always have our support. If you are in the giving spirit during this holiday season, I encourage everyone to go to a local soup kitchen, give back to your community, serve food to the homeless. If you see a homeless person on the streets this holiday season, go do something nice for them. You know, give them a hot meal because it's now getting cold especially right now during this Arctic blast that's happening in the northern states. There's a lot of homeless people out there, especially homeless veterans, and they're going to be cold. So do something amazing. Give back. Give back. You see someone cold? Go to Walmart or go to Goodwill or go to a thrift shop. Go buy some warm jackets and Give those jackets to people who desperately need them. If you see homeless people sleeping on hard concrete, go get them a sleeping bag. Go get them something to make them a little bit more comfortable. Nobody is above anybody. We are all on an equal playing field. So go do something right this holiday season. But always remember to go and thank a veteran this week, and to thank a member of our amazing armed forces. We love each and every one of you, we support you, and we thank you. Also, to all of our 1,100 Twitter subscribers, we have went over our goal of 1,000. Oh my God, I never thought that was going to happen, but we're, right now we are at around 1,100 or a little bit over 1,100 Twitter subscribers. So to everyone that's following us on Twitter, thank you all so, so much. We cannot do this without you. We cannot do this without your support. 
And if you haven't followed us on Twitter yet, go on Twitter and follow us. You can follow us at official PTWSTEV. That is at official PTWSTEV. And also keep a lookout on Instagram. We are highly thinking about creating an Instagram account to be able to, you know, get our show out to more people. But, you know, it is what it is. We are about 80, 90% certain that we are going to be doing an Instagram account. We're probably going to launch it towards the beginning of next year. Um, also, we are excited to announce that we will be attending Pod X next year in Nashville, Tennessee. Pod X is an annual uh, podcast convention that happens in Nashville where podcasters from all over the country come to Nashville. They you know, talk about their shows. They network out to other podcasts, um, podcasters. Um, they build relationships. They build uh, potential clients. I mean, it's a huge deal. So we are super excited that we're going to be a part of PodX next year in Nashville. Um, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, go to PodX.com right now and reserve those tickets. I know that um, we have uh, some listeners in Nashville that are looking forward to seeing us at PodX this year. We are looking forward to seeing them. So, yeah, we will be at PodX. Um, we would love to meet all of you, all of you amazing political nerds out there that are going to PodX this year. Um, we want, we would love to meet our supporters and have amazing discussions on topics that matter to each and every one of you. I mean, who knows? Discussions that we're having could become a future episode, and we are always, always looking for suggestions on future episodes. So we are looking forward to being a part of PodX next year. Um, also, uh, next week we'll be taking some time off. We won't have a new episode next week. Um, we will actually be out of town visiting uh, family. So no new episode next week. So what I want everyone to do for next week is just to tell all of your friends about us and share our podcast with other podcasters. That would be the best thing to do for next week. So we won't be producing a new episode for next week we're going to go see our family and we're super excited about seeing them next week um however the following week we will be back with a new episode of political thoughts with steve where we will be discussing all the week's hot political opinions and topics so just brace yourselves i know it oh my god it's a week without a new episode but you know what you all were champs during the midterms. So if you all could survive, you know, waiting until Monday to hear a new podcast, I'm sure y'all could survive one week without us. So it's all good. It is all good in the neighborhood. So that's all the news. Make sure that you go to Twitter and subscribe at official PTWSTEV for all the latest news of everything political. Um, to all of our amazing podcasters out there who listen to our show, thank you so much for your support. You know who you are. We belong to a huge podcast family on Twitter right now, and we are so thankful for everyone who likes our stuff, who follows us, who um, retweets us to get our message and get our podcast out there. So to all of our fellow pod family, thank you so much for your, for your amazing support 
and all that good stuff. So that's it for this week. I'm Stephen Goff. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. Remember to go thank a veteran this week or thank a service member this week. We love you guys, and we will talk to you all week after next on a new episode of Political Thoughts with Steve. Available thanks to the Anchor app. We'll see you guys soon.